future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. Welcome, welcome. It is Friday, August 19th, 2022. And yeah, I feel a little rusty at this stuff. <laughs> it's been a bit. It's been a minute, as they say. Uh, welcome to Raging Chickens Out to Coop podcast. It's our Friday politics roundup, everybody. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. Each week, we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. And I am joined once again today by the one, the only, Amy Connect, everybody. Woo! <laughs> you can help support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress. You can also help out the show by, you know, checking out our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. And look, everybody, you know it, I know it. We got to make sure that Paul Martito and his kind of plutocrat friends don't get to buy our schools and push their extremist politics in our community. Raging Chicken has teamed up with Level Field to launch a truly community-rooted pack to invest in organizing, support local and statewide progressive candidates, and unmask the toxic organizations injecting our communities with right-wing extremism. Yes, we're putting small-dollar donations to work to beat back the power of big money. money. You can get more information and drop your donation at ragingchicken.levelfield.net. That's ragingchicken.levelfield.net. Well, on this week's show, some of the things that we'll kind of get into is, of course, the Biden administration and Joe Biden has personally signed, finally, finally signed the Build Back a Little Bit bill, you know, a.k.a. the Inflation Reduction Act. Yes, yes, it is the biggest climate legislation in U.S. history. No, it will not be enough. And we are once again putting faith in the market and the tax code because apparently, well, that's the only way we could do policy in this country. It's crazy. Speaking of climate change, you checked out the pictures of the Colorado River, Lake Mead. Yep. Historic lows. Again. It's pretty crazy. The pics are, are absolutely unbelievable. And look, it's not just the U.S., right? If you have checked out the astounding pictures, I think it's the Loire River. I hope I'm close to that. The Loire River. Amy and I were practicing this before the show. The Loire River. That's France's longest river. It's been reduced to a trickle in parts of the country, and it is pretty much telling us what our climate future is going to look like. And a new study that emerged, yeah, keeping on the kind of bad climate news, emerged that basically uh, that's showing there's an emergence of an extreme heat belt in the United States. What does that mean? Well, by 2053, an area running from Texas to Illinois will hit a heat index of at least 125 degrees at least once a year. And right now we've seen strings of uh, heat indexes over 100 degrees for 20 days in a row. By that same date, 2053, it's going to be over 70 days in a row of a heat index over 100. Now, that's one thing when you're talking about in the dry heat in some areas where they're more used to. But when you're talking about humid, hot weather, you're talking about weather that kills. That's where we're headed, folks. That's where we're headed. Another 
I don't know if you call this even good news as much as expected news, but uh, yes, you know, the uh, the right-wing Republican uh, Liz Cheney, um, a.k.a. the darling of centrist Democrats right now, um, but Liz Cheney, yes, to no one's surprise, lost her primary to a big lie proponent. And she didn't just lose it. She was swamped. Yes, which was expected. She was, which was expected, to be fair. To be fair. And now she's uh, even eyeing a uh, presidential run in 2024. Will she win? I don't even think she thinks she's going to win. But can she cause massive disruption in the Republican Party, which I think is her intention at this point? Let's hope so. And today, a little closer to home. Yes, school boards are back in session. Palisades held its first meeting of the new school year this past Wednesday night. A few irate parents showed up and, you know, demanded answers from the superintendent over a trespassing incident that occurred at one of the elementary schools. Details on that. And, of course, the Penridge School District is doing their best to pass the anti-student and faculty and staff expression policy, which will basically mean that you can only wear white T-shirts and you have to shut your mouth the entire day, right? Or the school board led by Joan Cullen, is going to lash you to a post out in front by their new rain garden <laughs> and shame you until you accept Jesus into your life. <laughs> it's basically something like that. Well, you know, ACLU's on the on the tip, NAACP is on the tip. It's, uh, it's like, you know, Penridge is just setting themselves up for uh, kind of the national spotlight and lots and lots of legal action. So here we go. Crazy. And John Fredman is heating up the troll machine once again. Yes, he's back on the campaign trail. It was just out in Erie, Pennsylvania. Um, but in his race against the Wizard of Oz, man, uh, you know, Fetterman is like leaving no stone unturned, right? Even, you know, with that means, kind of going to see what it's like to uh, shop at Wegner's. We got to shop at Wegner's from, for some crudité. <laughs> What's a crudité? Yeah, it's a veggie tray for us plain folks, everybody. <laughs> Yes, Dr. Oz clearly showing he does not know how grocery stores work, does not know that prices sometimes mean by the pound, and has some strange idea about dipping asparagus into salsa. So I have no idea like what kind of freaking parties that guy holds, but I don't want to go near him, especially because it means driving in New Jersey. So whatever you go. And the guy can't count how many houses he has. <laughs> I've got a what? I've got what? Whatever. It's crazy. In today's last call, we'll see what's kind of happening, what's kind of going around. News here. My big news that just came up in the D&D world. Wizards of the Coast announced the coming um, of One D&D, which is going to be launched in 2024. I have already signed up to playtest some stuff, which I'm really excited about. Um, and basically what that means is that they're going to be able to kind of create, you know, they got these great digital platforms. Uh, Wizards of the Coast just acquired D&D Beyond this past year. There's a great partnership going on there. They're basically going to have a one-stop place where you can get all access to all your books, all of the materials that you need, and a next-generation digital play space that's going to be driven by Unreal Engine. And anybody out there who's uh, a video game kind of person knows that the Unreal Engine is phenomenal. And it's all going to be available at D&D Beyond. Um, they're just starting to roll some of that stuff out now. Of course, Spelljammer is out. Um, that's been a long-awaited space adventures. That's just kind of dropped this week, too, as well. So um, we'll see what else is going on. And for look, for more PA Progressive Talk, tune to the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern on his YouTube channel, Twitter, and Facebook. Subscribe to his podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Head on over to the RickSmithShow.com for the latest of all his platforms. I can't wait. I'm going to be seeing Rick 
in two weeks. Yes, Rick and I are uh, going to be checking out the Dropkick Murphys, everybody. Yes, we are. <laughs> We're bringing the rage to the Dropkick Murphy show coming up. I'm very excited to be uh, going out to Rick. Uh, going out there with Rick and spending that uh, evening um, collaborating and kind of uh, just doing some uh, soul cleansing at that night. <laughs> And everybody, uh, season two of the sisters, uh, excuse me, sisters, the Nighthawks podcast is kind of in the full stream. Um, you can find it on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. The amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind the podcast. Rock the house. And they know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. And like, uh, attention all you gamers out there, the Game Inn, that's with two N's, the Game Inn is a Quakertown-based black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show, and they've got everything from Retro N64s, the latest consoles, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, walls of Funko Pops, right? And with school starting up, kids get discounts. I think they're going to carry this through in this school year, too, as well. Kids will get discounts for A's in the report card. Check them out on their Facebook page. Follow them on Twitter at, at the Game Inn with two N's. Got a question about a game, look for something hard to get, shoot them a message or drop them an email at thegameinpa at gmail.com. Special shout out goes to Jonathan Mann who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. Check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at, at Song of Dayman. That's with two N's, that's at Song of Dayman on Twitter. And uh, we're going to be getting uh, Out the Coop Live uh, back up and running. I apologize for missing. I don't know. Uh, I think I, I mentioned this on my last show towards the end of the show um, when I was talking to uh, Mark Pinsley. But uh, I was out with some I had some health related issues. Turns out I thought I had COVID. Um, it was not COVID. It turns out that I had uh, an infection in my leg that my leg was all pulled up. And on top of that, I had a blood clot um, in my leg, which can get pretty serious. So I had to kind of run through a bunch of tests and all the medications and all that kind of fun stuff. I tell you, it's wonderful getting old and it's wonderful. Uh, uh, thank God, at least I um, got it when I did. So, uh, but it's been a bit a weird kind of couple of weeks and now it's kind of, uh, you know, game on to try to before the semester starts, my kids go back to school. So um, I'm getting things back up and running now. So sorry about that. For everybody who's wondering what's going on, that's what's been going on. And look, if we want a progressive future, we need progressive media. Support Pull No Punches, homegrown progressive media today. Become a patron of Raging Chicken for as little as five bucks a month. Just head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress. We're here for the fight, but we need you. Become a patron for the price of a good beer once a month. Help keep the media in the movement and the movement in the media. Become a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress today. Well, there we have it. Welcome, welcome, Amy. Hi. Good morning. Hey, it's great to be back here. Uh, and I apologize to you, too, for having to kind of like postpone and kind of reschedule our Fridays here for. Uh, oh, that's all right. The summers always get crazy. It's been nuts. Especially I, at the end of the summer. I said the summers always get nuts, especially towards the end. Yeah, I just find I find it especially it's like it seems like uh, there's like this lull that happens in the middle. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, my God, we got to kind of we wanted to do this. We wanted to do that. And then there's like the school stuff, preparations to get the kids back to school. And I yeah, it doesn't help that they go back to school before Labor Day. So, yeah, yeah, it does not. <laughs> it does not. I think the, the one saving grace for me is that is that I go my semester begins the same day that theirs does this year. Um, oh, 
Yeah. So so I'm back the same day that they are. Um, and that, that's a plus and a minus. Um, sometimes if I was if I go, went back later, it would be uh, it, that I'd get like a few extra days to actually work on my stuff. Um, but if I go back before they do, then it's always kind of, uh, you know, trying to figure out what you're going to do for kid care and things like that. But yeah. But how's your summer ra- uh, wrapping up? Um, it's doing pretty good. Yeah, it's, I mean, we haven't been doing, I think, as much as we had wanted to this summer. Um, but that's really a lot of it had to do with gas prices and some traveling. Uh, but for the most part, I mean, like I got to hit a really awesome concert this summer. My kids have been having a great time, um, doing their thing. So it's good. I'm ready for school to start though. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ready. Yeah. I never thought that I would have, uh, you know, I would say that, look, I'm going to actually have more time to focus on some things when school starts, uh, than as opposed to less because, uh, the summer, just like, you know, I'm here with my kids. That's what I do. (laughs) Yeah. Those six hours during the day are, are nice. Yeah. Yeah. They are indeed. All right. Well, uh, so, okay, we're going to get, so just folks, this is a programming stuff. So I know that we're going to, um, we'll be back in this and I know that, um, that folks, uh, kind of uh, never, this is never, I've never heard this as a criticism, but everybody is, I will say like, Whoa, you guys had like a three hour show today. <laughs> right, that kind of thing. So, uh, hopefully we're gonna start the show a little bit earlier on Fridays. Um, that has to do with some of my scheduling stuff that I've got to, I've got to figure out. Um, so probably go running really on at 10 instead of 11, which we were going up before, which actually brings us back to the roots of the show. That's when we used to start, um, um, back in the day. And, uh, we'll probably try to keep the show kind of like an hour and, you know, on long days, maybe go up to an hour and a half, um, just so that folks don't feel they have to spend the entire day, <laughs> right. Um, to catch up on oh, the but podcast. There's so much always going on. There is. And that was the problem. Wow. You know, I swear it's like when we started, when, when Sean and I were used to, we started the, uh, on the, on the Friday show, um, it was kind of like in the year leading up to 2016 election mm-hmm. and there was a lot going on. Um, but so, but we were able to kind of keep the show about hour, hour and 15 minutes or so. And, uh, we had it kind of running pretty good, but then it just like the fire hose just opened and it felt, it feels like it just hasn't stopped. So. Yeah. Did I want that feeling? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. So what's it? Well, I guess, you know, and this was a big week. Um, you know, I don't, we're not going to get into a whole bunch of the kind of Trump Mar-a-Lago kind of, uh, you know, oh my gosh, I almost forgot about that. Yeah, I know. It's like, look, you know, if anybody wants to know what is going on in the the, the Trump campaign, just you know, go watch your MSNBC because that's all they freaking run with these days. Um, so, um, and look again, this is it reminds me, it's a different version of the Russia, Russia, Russia time. It's like I remember I used to tune in the MSNBC, and I used to, when I used to watch MSNBC to I said, well, what, why you, you know people say why you watch MSNBC? I said, well, I was checking to see what's happening with the Russia stuff because <laughs> right? uh, they know how to run with one story, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. As a network, and so that's kind of what they're doing now. But there's, I mean, there's like really significant developments in the kind of several different criminal probes, plus in the 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 J six hearing. So um, lots of stuff that's happening over there. Um, so we're not going to get into too much of that today, I don't think, but. Um, the big news of the week, I um, at the national level at least, was um, Joe Biden finally signed the uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, which is you know we've been kind of terming it the Build Back Just a Little Bit bill, <laughs> right? Um, it's not really Build Back Better, but we're going to build back a little bit. And thanks because uh, you know uh, King uh, Mansion finally decided to uh, get on board with some climate reduction stuff. Of course, he had um, had to mitigate that with, uh, you know, some 
means testing on how it would work and get rid of any direct investment in um, climate, uh, um, kind of making the transition to, you know, more, you know, climate friendly fuels and the kind of transitions about, you know, move to electric vehicles and for public transportation. No, instead, we're just Mm going to use the tax code to try to kind of provide people carrots uh, with very few uh, sticks um, to get us to um, a livable climate future. But I don't know. Did you did you read the did you read the description of it from that the White House put out? I did. I did. I've, yeah. Yeah. I, I thought it was interesting that in, in the description, they they they're using their words, you know, very deliberately here. And they it says it'll lower the deficit and ask the super wealthy in corporations to pay their fair share. They're yep. going to ask them. Yep. <laughs> I think that happens. Yeah, I think they actually have to get. I think it's in the bill that they have, there's going to be. Uh, they have to get down on their hands and knees and plead um, the rich to pay their fair share. I think that's in the bill. <laughs> it's like, well, it, it is because when they because when they talk about the tax code <laughs> portion of it, it, it says um, you know they're going to crack down on these large profitable corporations. But if they're going to ask them to pay, I don't. You know, I guess they could refuse them. You know, and it only says here they're imposing a 1% surcharge on corporate stock buybacks that will encourage businesses to invest. Invest in what? Themselves again or their workers? Right. Well, it will not. I mean, look, this is there was a uh, the American Prospect has got a great um, podcast. I'm just forgetting the name of it, but it's like it's listed on their page. And uh, they in, in a, just the most recent episode or at least this past week, they had David Day on David Day on who's basically their, their kind of like managing editor. Um, who really digs down in the policy on this stuff. And that's one of the points that he makes on that podcast was that, look, look, or it's in the articles too as well, that American Prospect is like, look, that whole idea that you take, you you basically tax these corporate corporate profits, right? Or these kind of um, uh, stock buybacks is going to incentivize them to invest in their uh, companies and their workers. That's, it's never, there's n- not a single example of that to point to where you can show that that logic has worked, so- Really? Well, you should tell the writers of um, AEI Economics that because they had something to say uh, about the Build Back Better. <laughs> oh, what did they have to say? Oh, uh, let's see. Where was it? Oh, Phil Graham reflected on the signing um, of the IRA and how we could learn from the economic leadership of Ronald Reagan. Break the yeah. unions, stoke up racism, and uh, give the money to the rich. That's what we're going to learn from? <laughs> Pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, they're talking about the Omnibus Budget Reconciliation Act. That was before me. <laughs> it's whatever. Before it just time. it never works. Like they have, they were pointing to one of the things that they were. Um, one of the examples that I heard, uh, I, and I'm not, I'm not sure if it was uh, th- through this interview with David Dan, if it was another economist that was talking about this. Um, but they were they were saying like you know that was the logic they gave to. Um, what to do with all these foreign profits, right? Mm-hmm. So basically these companies were, you know, holding their profits overseas so they didn't have to pay U.S. tax on it. So there was always this incentive to, or there was this argument to say, well, look, we're going to give them a tax holiday so that they can repatriate their money, right? So basically bring it back into U.S. banks and have it here in the U.S. so that they will invest in their companies and, and create American jobs. Yeah. And they've done that periodically since like the 1980s. And every single time that they do that, right, there is no investment. 
right? There are no jobs created. A matter of fact, there's evidence to show that they actually they once they brought the money back, they cut their workforce. Um, and they use that money to enrich in their CEOs. So the logic doesn't work, but whatever. I mean, look, we're talking about a, a you know, a, a climate, a dystopian climate future here. So if like, if that's what we've got to do at this point, I mean, I guess you got to do something, but let's not pretend, right? I mean. <laughs> I mean, anything's better than not, I guess, but. The, the slowness and the baby steps, you know, they're just, it's becoming almost intolerable at this point, right? I mean, with the Democratic's tolerant, Democratic Party's tolerance of moderate Democrats, right? Like Joe Manchin um, and how he can, up, like, he can stop the movement of these things going forward, you know? And I really, really feel that that's like such an undemocratic process right there, that one person in the party or one or two people in the party can hold this up. Right. Right. So, I mean, and it's apparent they don't even try. I mean, Manchin doesn't even try to hide the fact that he is, you know, supported by fossil fuel industries. So it's disgusting. Yeah, 100 <laughs> percent. I mean, it's uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, I can't believe we're at really seriously. We're at a point where I guess I can believe it, but I just it, there's part of me that is just will never believe that this is like the reality that we live in, that mm -hmm. we're literally like staring down, like, you know, the barrel of, of the climate gun, if you will. And the best that we can do is kind of, you know, provide carrots and ask the person with the gun to please don't kill me. You know, I mean, it's like, right. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's frightening. I mean, especially when you can see what, what the alternative options were. I mean, I know that there's, you see there's there's plans there's these kind of like um public transportation plans um i know pennsylvania's put out one well what would it actually look like to invest in like trains and public transportation um to kind of you know start getting cars off the road if people could have had the choice actually okay i don't need to drive my car from philadelphia to pittsburgh i don't need to drive my car from you know um harrisburg to scranton but i could actually hop mm -hmm. on a train to do it that's going to reduce traffic on the roads right um and so there's a plan that's out there to do it, but there's no money and no initiative to do it. I mean, you, you heard nothing but austerity measures at the state level. And yes, now there's some tax incentives to turn to kind of green fuels uh, for some corporations and some power companies. But I, I don't know if we're going to get there in time. I mean, and that's been evident by, you know, the pictures we're seeing about what's, you know, these kind of rivers, both, well, you know, out west here in this country and in, kind of in Europe. Yeah. 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 And the Colorado River, I mean, it's one of my favorite rivers um, in the country. And it's it's so big. It's so majestic. You think that like it would be impossible, right, to have a river like that dry up. Um, you know, but the one report that I had, what was it that I was reading? It was an NPR report. And I mean, they talked about, I think it's Lake Mead, right, which is part of that Colorado River system, has dropped 175 feet over the past 20 years. I mean, that's a lot of water, especially yeah. out in the desert. <laughs> <laughs> to be gone. Yep. So it's it's definitely a crying shame. Um, you know, and it sucks though too, because like we were talking before the show and you were saying how much how many states, like, you know, the percentage of water used by the states and that, you know, agriculture takes up what, three quarters yeah. of that water, of the usage of it. And yep. most of it's going to California. Yep. So that leaves some of the drier states down, you know, and then Mexico too, who is also um who benefits, you know, from the Colorado River, you know, they, I think it's dry, right? The Sea of Cortez, where it comes out, yeah. I don't even think there's anything coming out right yeah. now. 
It's 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 crazy. I mean, especially saying this is what we've done to our kind of natural resource. Now, again, you know, this is not only climate based. Right. So we should be clear about that. I mean, climate is just kind of the uh, climate change and the kind of the droughts and the heat is exacerbating a, a pre-existing problem about this kind of like unfettered development and, you know, lack of concern about, uh, you, you know, proper stewardship of, of natural resources in the land. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, and this is what, you know, what Amy was just saying in terms of uh, like, you know, the amount of water being used. I mean, one of the things is a great piece in the American prospect on this, which uh, kind of runs through part of the problem is like, you know, there's this, um, uh, the Upper Colorado River Commission um, kind of has basically been drawing attention to this stuff for for years. And now we find out that, you know, look, there's real disparities in terms of how that river is used. And, you know, there's all these different claims and and even states being unable to agree about, you know, taking care of the river for for the long for the next generations. Right. Or the generations after that. Instead, it's all short term development kind of like, you know, economic capitalist <laughs> development and that's it yeah. um and so much of that water like amy was saying is just going to you know the san joaquin valley um and out in california to produce these kind of you know factory farms worth of um agricultural crops um um and they're yes they're, it's true they're finally sh uh, kind of shifting over to some more uh kind of drought resistant crops and you know, to irrigation methods that don't just shoot the water off of the air, but are actually kind of running closer to the ground. So you're not wasting all that water. But, you know, it's kind of like a little too late in many ways because um, you got all those people, the rapid areas of development like Arizona, uh, Las Vegas, um, New Mexico to, to a lesser degree who are, you know, who are rapidly developing and have no water. <laughs> right. That's just going to make matters worse. So, yeah. Yeah, that prospect article, um, and they say, you know, and it, what did they say in here? So there's a lot of finger pointing on yes. on between states because there isn't one agency that oversees the Colorado River. It's like a collection of different states. And in the article, they call it, you know, trying to get the states to consult with each other on their strategies. And they, and this is a quote, they call it a herding cats framework. Yeah. It says it's stymied region-wide progress and has led to the current situation with the borough uh, – imposing restrictions on some states so i can only imagine what herding cats is trying to be like right no exactly <laughs> so here from that same article so people kind of do a little deeper dig so this down down a little bit so mm -hmm. although the bureau of reclamation oversees both basins the states are left to manage their own water use and consult them here this is the herding cats framework that has stymied nationwide progress led to current situations which is the part that amy is pointing to and then you go down in this a little bit so if you look at the bureau imposes reductions on some states like arizona and nevada but not others california based on a system yeah. that prioritizes water allocation users with fast developing california having more high priority users than arizona Right. By 2040, California will will lose 10 percent of its water to supply to replace those lost supplies. State officials plan to investigate desalinization and other offers. The agricultural sector consumes 80 percent of the basin's water, far eclipsing the municipal, tribal nation, power generation and recreational uses. Right. Yeah. Farmers have responded by switching to drought resistant crops, as I was mentioning, and shifting some of the growing to the Mississippi, um, Mississippi Delta. And this is the key. Right. Um, where is it? Where is it here? Oh, yeah. In the West, much of the water destined for human consumption goes to outdoor uses, such as garden and lawn maintenance. Right. Yeah. 
Gotta have that lawn. Exactly. In you know, the desert, gotta have grass growing. Exactly. I think, you know, again, there's been, <laughs> you know, and this is what, this is what I hate to sound like a downer on this stuff all the time because there has been lots of pushes to, you know, shift to kind of sustainable lawns and where you're actually using rock gardens and indigenous planets or plants as opposed to this other stuff, but it's too slow, you know? Yeah. So, well, I think it's funny. People, you go out west, and I always thought it was hilarious. You'd go out west, and people, are living in the desert when you have all these natural cactuses and you, you don't you don't even have to do much to maintain a yard mm -hmm. out there um <laughs> but then you have people trying to grow turf and grass in the middle of a desert and i'm just like this is not natural for here why are you even trying it, it's it, it, it does and it consumes so much water yep so mm -hmm. much water it's crazy and you like and it's not just what's happening in the u.s right i mean we have we talked to uh, i'm gonna get the the loire did i get it right the loire, <laughs> loire. The, yeah the, the river loire yeah the liver I, I have no french amy has some french <laughs> but it's france is yeah. minuscule french yeah. i can i can count you can count <laughs> <laughs> i can count and i can say i love cheese there you go okay well, say it how do you say i love cheese uh, it's a uh, j'adore fromage Okay, see, that's something I got to remember because I do love cheese. <laughs> did you know where I learned that from? No. I did not learn that in my French class. I learned that from Dexter's Laboratory. It was a cartoon on Cartoon Network back in the day. There you go. So I'm not sure if that's correct, but. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm going to say yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> oh, God. It's where I learned most of my classical music, right? Bugs Bunny, right? There you go. <laughs> Same thing. Um, so true. Um, but you know, that's is France's longest river. Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, the, the pictures of it are incredible. I mean, you have this, I mean, you're talking about this like sustained drought um, throughout kind of large sections of Europe, like Spain, France, and kind of in particular, we saw the historic wildfires that have been um, purging up there. And now to see that France's longest river and, you know, I mean, France is known for it's like, it's agricultural. It's like, you know, it's like, you know, beautiful fields Great and wine, wine country and all that. And here we've got the river drying up over there, too. And it's a large river. Like, it's not, I mean, um, it's it's wide. It reminds me of sections of the Mississippi, you know, looking at the photos. Yep. It's a wide river. Yep. That's a lot of water. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty nuts. Um, and there's like, you know, the, all these kind of like uh, UNESCO World Heritage castles and things like this that are kind of known to be yeah. on this river they're um you know they're no longer like there's no water around them anymore um it's uh it's 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 pretty crazy the boats are stranded um my wife was actually just telling me there was um um you know like on the rhine river in germany the, the, the border of germany and france where you have these kind of barges and these cruises up the rhine river to kind of you know along all these famous castles and everything like this there's sections mm -hmm. of the Rhine River that the uh, the boats can't get through because it's there, there's no water. So they're being diverted through these kind of like canal systems to just try to even kind of maintain something of those tours because you can't go on them anymore. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's it's a shame when we when we start to lose our natural resources, because it's not just for utilization for, for us and consumption. It's also more than that. Right. Yeah. Like it contributes to our ecosystem, our mental health overall our physical health. I mean, just going outside and being able to breathe fresh air, look at green trees and, and fresh water running, um, I think does a lot for humanity. <laughs> yep. 
Yep. Uh, and it's just, it is a shame. Um, really sad to see that happening uh, here in, in obviously the United States, but also worldwide as well. Yep. And you start thinking about the, you know, the implications of like the secondary implications of this, this drying up. I mean, one, obviously, the most direct is, oh, my God, the water's, you know, the water's not there anymore. And there's, you know, question about are we going to be able to get enough water for, you know, for drinking and all this other stuff. But then you think, just like I mentioned, about the economic impacts that you have, about this is, you know, what people would go to Europe for and, you know, to go on these rivers. Mm -hmm. And now you can't. Then you have all the fish, right? Dead. <laughs> Right, because there's no water for them to swim in, right? Or the water gets so small that the water heats up so much that they die um, for, you know, because it's, the water's too too hot. Yeah. And there's some of these rivers, right, that feed into um, these different reservoirs that are used to cool nuclear power plants, <laughs> right? They said, uh, like, for example, in this, this piece from Reuters, it's talking about this um, here, the river flow, this is they're talking about the in France again, is about 40 cubic meters per second, less than 20th of average of annual levels. It would be even lower if authorities did not release water from dams at Nassau and the Villarest built in 1980s, partly to guarantee cooling water supply to four nuclear power plants built along the river. Oh my goodness. Right. So you're keeping the river going by using this water that you're make that you put there to make sure that the nuclear power plants have enough cooling. Right. It doesn't take like, you know, a genius to realize, well, what happens when that water starts to be depleted? <laughs> right. Or what happens if yeah. there's an emergency, but you've released the water downstream. Right. I mean, this is pretty crazy stuff. Yeah, and they're talking about like uh, they're talking about a lot of the same problems in like we're having here that they're having in France. It says here in that uh, in a Reuters article about it, it says days after major wildfires hit France, then you had torrential rain flooding parts of uh, Paris and southern France. While in some villages in the south, water had to be uh, brought in by trucks because natural springs have run dry. Like that's insane. It is. It's it's just it's and like I said, you can't I, you cannot deny this. <laughs> is even still trying to deny that the fact that there's climate change happening no it's crazy extreme and I, climate change no exactly exactly and i think that you know it's funny because not it's not funny but it's um i do think that this is more so than even like five years ago or so i think it's um mm -hmm. there's more people get that than i think even did about five years ago um, even those folks who are kind of Republicans who have been kind of voting for those folks and think, I think on a daily basis, cause it's starting to hit people's daily lives like every single year. Right. Yeah. Um, whether it's the fact that, I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but I mean, everything like in my neighborhood, in my area, everything's dying. Right. Um, because there's been no rain and every time. Yeah. We haven't have too many issues. Well, it's dry. Um, I, so I happen to live underneath a big like spring system, like a natural underground spring mm -hmm. system. So our well is usually pretty well. Like we don't have to worry about that too much, but I generally always have moist grass because of where we live. Like even in a drought, like yeah. the, the ground's a little spongy. The ground is not spongy. <laughs> this hasn't happened in a long time. Yeah. A long time. And I do have a pond, right? So like the water levels have been slowly going down. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty amazing. Um, just from the lack of rain that we've had. Yeah, it's just I mean, it's just the lack. I mean, every time you know, it's it's almost like a joke at this point. But every time that they call for rain, you're like, well, let's okay, wait till tomorrow because then it's that you know. Oh yeah. It's oh, not yeah. going to happen. <laughs> it's not nope. going to happen. Nope. I think so, we've had one thunderstorm. <laughs> yeah. 
It's nuts. Well, we have a. There's also this. Uh, you know, again, to stay on the doom and gloom and climate stuff. But there's a. Uh, you know, the new study that came from this organization is called First Street Foundation, um, and they. You know, they report on. They're a nonprofit organization. They just kind of look at kind of climate impacts. They kind of um, um, bring in scientists to do analyses. Of what's this going to look like? And um, they found out that, you know, they're basically saying warning of this extreme heat belt in the United States um, that is it's already developing. That extends from Texas up through up through Illinois, right, to the, say basically the heart of the country. Um, and this is this is the kind of the new part, right, because we already know that there's the you know, you've got the uh, the like Arizona, what we talk about, Arizona, New Mexico, um, different parts of Texas um, that are, you know, are extraordinarily hot um, and dry. But now you're talking mm-hmm. about kind of northern Texas up through the kind of the center of the country. And they're saying this is going to be like this extreme heat belt. Um, and if I actually look at some of their maps um, and there's the number of oh, like, you know, 100 plus days um, uh, also extends up to Pennsylvania, right, um, up to kind of especially eastern Pennsylvania. Um, yeah. It won't be quite as extreme as what you're seeing in the center of the country. But if you're talking about, you know, 70, you know, plus days in a row of a hundred plus heat index, um, that's crazy. It is. I don't know if anybody who's listening has ever, you know, lived out West or been out West or anything like that. But when it gets up to those higher temperatures, it's, it's brutal. Yep. It's brutal. And then to combine that in, places like Pennsylvania who have high humidity during the summer, it's going to be unbearable. Well, and that's what, you know, a part they're pointing to in this report too, as well as you, you get up to start, we start hitting heat indexes of it. You know, they say part of this extreme heat belt will mean heat index of at least 125 degrees, at least one day a year. Right. Um, <clears throat> and there was some, I heard some reporting about this report too, as well. And some of the scientists who were talking about it said they also had this mode of uh, this, this this word of caution. They say, you know, we also thought that we weren't going to hit some of these markers uh, uh, that we hit this summer <laughs> until like 2030, 2035. So we're already ahead of schedule on this. So yeah. if you're talking about 125 degrees, you're, you're you know, once you hit, the, you know, this kind of wet bulb temperature, I'm forgetting what the exact temperature is. But once you get to a certain temperature, the like the human body can no longer cool itself by itself. And yeah. it like like literally your body will start to cook because it cannot get rid of the heat unless you get into cooling. And so you, that means you've got to be in AC or in some sort of cool environments. And if it's, it means to be an AC, that also means that you're drawing on more carbon and more energy, yeah. which is feeding a cycle. I mean, it gets like, it's super bad. And then if you're just going to expand that out, it's like, yeah, it's great for those of us who get to live in climates, right? Or in areas that are a little bit more cool or have the luxury of, of, of AC. But you're talking about huge numbers of people in this country that do not have AC, Right. Um, do not have the, the money to kind of run AC all summer long. Elderly people yeah. who are kind of really susceptible to this stuff and those folks who just live in live in parts of the country that are just going to be baking. I mean, yeah, because I mean, some of these areas, people don't even have, like people traditionally don't use air conditioners. Right. They don't really need to as much. And that's so power grids are going to start failing like we saw in Texas, right. essentially. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So crazy. So, well, you know, I mean, I guess the uh, the uh, I guess the the end all be all on that one is like, you know, good luck. Uh, good luck to the build back a little bit bill or the Inflation Reduct- Reduction Act. Um, 
hopefully in the in the kind of in the coming weeks, I'm going to have um, um, some folks on to talk more about climate in and uh, PA, in particular what this uh, how people could take advantage of some of this stuff in um, the Climate Act. I've got some people I've, re I've reached out to already. Um, I've been trying to make sense of it. Um, so talk more about that um, going forward. Um, but I know this is also going to be a huge issue. We're looking forward. I mean, obviously, what's going to be driving a lot of people to the polls this fall is going to be, um, you know, the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Um, but if anything, what yeah. I, at the very least, we can look at what just happened with the signing of this Inflation Reduction Act bill, particularly the climate measures in it. Um, yes, they're bringing down a prescription drugs when it comes to Medicare. Um, there are some other things in the bill that are important. It says that, look, if we just get more people, if we can get a larger majority of Democrats that are, are kind of elected this year to kind of to get behind this kind of legislation, absolutely critical. And we need that at the state level, too, as well. So, of course, I mean, and there's things in it, too, that I, I mean, that are really simple projects. I'm like, I'm looking at it right now and it says, you know, the urban and community forestry program. I don't know if anybody's familiar with the New Deal. <laughs> I know, Kevin, you are. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, during the New Deal, during the Depression, um, you know, trees were planted, uh, you know, in the dust in the Dust Belt area uh, in the 1930s to help save some of the soil and stuff like that and also to try and help cool down areas and that's essentially what they're talking about here but instead of putting these out in these large rural areas they're talking about putting them in neighborhoods and cities right yep. so that'll help reduce the amount of heat that's being um let out by you know just just concrete and pavement and buildings and just a large amount of people and cars in one spot so for i i mean i actually went down and i did this like if you go down to philadelphia and you go through their historic district it's nice and cool yep. but if you start going outside of those neighborhoods and you start going into more low-income housing uh portions of the city it's definitely you it's got to be five ten degrees hotter yep yeah so i mean it's, it's programs like these that you would think would be nonpartisan, right because trees benefit everybody yep <laughs> But unfortunately, Republicans are just, they, they, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to them. Well, no. And the, even like Joe Manchin on this one, too, is, is a perfect example because in the original Build Back Better bill, um, there was a provision there, just like during the New Deal, they had um, the, there's a Civilian Conservation Corps, right, that they put in there. And there was another program that basically they hired people, right, to go plant those trees, right? Yeah. And the whole idea was during the New Deal is like, not only are you, doing good work right that needs to be done you're actually you're serving as a kind of an a way to kind of have like good paying jobs for people to do necessary work for communities and that was in yeah. the original it was called like the climate conservation corps or the climate corps or something like this and it was oh, a, the ccc yeah yeah it was it was, <laughs> it was championed by uh it was championed by the sunrise movement and that was the whole idea is that you'd basically you'd have a core of folks that actually be you know, it would boost the economy because you have good pay paying jobs especially for younger folks right um yep. who could you know come out and you do this for a year and you go out into these communities and that's what you do right you're planting trees you're doing kind of like things that are going to actually benefit communities and the climate um, but of course, Manchin insisted on, on stripping that from the bill. So now there's some provisions that have, of that that kind of help some of that stuff. Um, if and which is great, don't get me wrong. Um, but imagine what it would like if it was direct investment, where say, okay, no, we're going to create this and we're going to employ people <laughs> to do it. Yeah. That means that boom, 2023, that program would be off and running, um, right down the 
the street from you. So let's kind of, you know, make sure that we can push that forward going, you know, <laughs> you know, get people in office that are actually going to push that going forward. So definitely. And they have models to go off of. Like yeah. they, they've done these things before. Like this legislation has been passed before. Like people have done this type of work before and it, and it, and it worked <laughs> like it worked. So I, I don't, it, it's just frustrating. It's yep. just, I always come back to that. It's just frustrating because I'm trying to understand, you know, why like so someone like Mansion would oppose something like that. It just. Yep. Yeah. I, I think it has a lot <laughs> to really do with to uh, who's uh, the people who are writing him checks, right? I think that's what it yeah, is. Yeah, right. Crazy. All right. Well, and then, you know, the one thing, uh, you know, uh, you know, Liz Cheney lost her. Uh, that was the other big news thing this week. Liz Cheney lost her. All uh, week. Yeah. <laughs> Her primary, and now it's like, oh my God, what's got Liz Cheney? What's for what's next for her and all this stuff? And this is my kind of weekly reminder that Liz Cheney is not a friend. Um, no, to, she is not. Right. <laughs> and yes, she is not she, yes. because she's doing her job and and sees through the big lie. I don't really feel like we need to commend her for doing that, right? Because no. this is what she should be doing. Right. She's like, let, let's be clear. Liz Cheney voted for Donald Trump more than Lindsey mm -hmm. Graham voted for Donald Trump, right? And in, in, in like in terms of the voting, she is a dyed in the wool right wing conservative. Now, I can say that at the same time, I can also say she's doing a great job in the January 6th commission. Both yeah, of those, does. yeah, both of those things could be true at the same time, <laughs> right? So, she's part of the problem that got, you know, she's exactly. part of the reason of why she's in this position to begin with. Right. Like, they <laughs> 100 percent. I mean, so like, you know, this is just what Democrats just like everyday Democrats got to get through their head. Right. We do not need to elevate Republicans and conservatives to the hero status. Right. It, because they've done something like competent and like you know, done, did their job. We don't need to do that. We can say we're glad they're doing it. And all the more reason we need to get the rest of them out of office because they're the ones who cause this problem. Can we just do that mm -hmm. and not have to talk about, well, will Democrats switch parties to vote for Liz? Get me a freaking break. So that's it. <laughs> I, I, I tell you what, I was getting quite frustrated all week because I kept turning on the news, trying to figure you know, hear what was going on. And it was just all Liz Cheney, all Liz Cheney, all Liz Cheney. Oh my gosh. I was like, I'm done. I'm done for this week with her. Yep. Yep. I hear you. I hear you. All right, everybody, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to talk a little about the school boards back in session. Uh, maybe get into a little bit of the uh, uh, the wondrous world of trolldom that is uh, – we're getting a master class from the Fetterman campaign on that one this week, too, as well. Once again, uh, we'll talk about that. I would remind you that you can help support this show by heading over to patreon.com slash rcpress. That's patreon.com slash rcpress, where you can help support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Uh, we'll be back right after this quick break uh, with more and more and more. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. Ah, oh, 
On this day in labor history, the year was 1909. That was the day that a committee of the Industrial Workers of the World in Spokane, Washington, published the first edition of the Little Red Songbook. The collection were songs to fan the flames of discontent. Perhaps more than any other labor organization in the United States, members of the IWW understood the power of art to tell the workers' stories. IWW members created music, visual art, and writing to draw people to the cause of labor and to build solidarity among workers. Richard Brazier was an IWW musician who served on the Spokane committee that compiled the collection. He explained, what first attracted me to the IWW was its songs and the gusto with which its members sang them. Such singing, I thought, was good propaganda, since it had originally attracted me, and many others as well, and also useful, since it held the crowd for wobbly speakers who followed. The original Little Red Songbook included songs such as Solidarity Forever and the French song The Internationale. Thirty editions of the pocket-sized book were published between 1909 and 1995. They have included labor songs from musicians such as Joe Hill, Ralph Chaplin, and T-Bone Slim. John Reed, a former IWW journalist, reflected on the organization's powerful connection to music. He wrote, Remember, this is the only American working-class movement which sent Tremble then at the IWW, for a singing movement is not to be beaten. Do you have a favorite labor song? Solidarity forever. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. Solidarity forever, for the union makes us strong. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, this is Kevin Mahoney here once again with Amy Connect, bringing you the good, the bad and the ugly in state and national politics. Uh, so, Amy, uh, I understand that the school boards are back in session here in Bucks County. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. I was not um, fortunate enough to catch Monday's meeting from Penridge, uh, but I did go to Palisades on, on Wednesday. That's that's my own district. Uh so it was, to be honest, it was pretty uneventful. Um, it was a small meeting. We had it in the library of the high school. Sometimes they have them in the auditorium. Not a whole heck of a lot was going on. Nothing crazy interesting. However, at the, it, towards the end of the meeting, uh, there were some incidents actually that happened in our district the past few weeks. Um, and we had a couple of irate parents show up for that. So. Oh man, so on Wednesday, August 10th, um, let's see, a district maintenance worker discovered that the press box at our football stadium had been broken into um, and that there was a note that was left and it contained racial slurs, which is fabulous, right? Just what we need. Right. But in addition to that, there was also uh, there was also an incident at one of our elementary schools um, that showed two male figures who were actively trespassing um, and trying to, you know, get into the building. I know that there's an ongoing investigation for this, but the problem of what happened is that at the school board meeting, these parents showed up and they wanted to know why that the Salkin source had scooped up the story before parents were alerted to what had happened, right? Now, I don't know the deal with the Salkin source. Um, all I do know is that 
they could have gotten tipped off, right, and published it. Uh, our superintendent was being verbally attacked at the meeting by one woman, and she went up there, and Kevin, oh man, she had longer nails, and there's a podium, and she was slamming her nails onto the podium very loudly, very loudly. You, you, it was, and she's demanding to know, you know, like, how the schools are keeping kids safe, why weren't people notified, it was four days later, and her information was completely wrong. Um, emails went out a day after the Salkin source had, had released their, their article, right? So, and we checked on this. Um, so she was falsely claiming that, you know, nobody got emails, that she dropped the ball, you know, that the schools aren't doing their job. I mean, here they're engaged in an active open investigation with the state police going off of state police guidance on how you should, you know, um, how you should approach this, this particular problem. And, and I understand parents, right, showing up at a school board meeting upset by something right. like this, right? That there's sure. a break in. Oh my gosh, like this is this is a big deal, especially in our current climate, right, of, of society. Um, and with school shootings on the rise. But she was over the top, right? Over the top, very rude, demanding answers, not following procedures of school board procedures, right? Like wanting to know answers. It got to be the point where our superintendent just stopped talking to her. Like there was no, it, it was just like, what else are you going to do? And when I, I, and you know, I went up there and I had made a brief comment and I wanted it to go on record that no, it wasn't four days later when these emails went out. It was a day later, a day later, emails went out stating that there was an incident and the school has been very good so far. They released, you know, um, the video surveillance to parents to be able to maybe help identify these people. Like they've taken all of these proper steps. Right, so. right. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't quite as exciting as Penridge or Central Bucks, um, but it was that. And like I said, I just felt that the approach of the parents was just really uncalled for, very uncalled for. You know, I don't think that our superintendent dropped the ball. I think that they have been in wonderful communication with, you know, with the community um, about this incident. So, and also too, like, because they want to know security measures. Like, so parents were basically demanding to know the security measures that are going to be in place. And our board president was like, we're not telling you that. That's not something that we're going to publicly go off and, and state right now. And I guess it's for safety concerns, I guess, developing plans and stuff like that. Um, I'm not sure of all the logistics of it, but I understand that if there's going to be measures put in place, that they're going to be finalized before they're just thrown out there in, in, in a meeting that somebody is just that somebody came up to and asked these questions, right? Like right. it's not, and like I said, there's still, I believe that there's still like an investigation going on too. So I, I the school's only allowed to divulge so much at that point. So I don't know, but we had one of those people, he showed up and he demanded, you know, he's like, well, who do you work for? And blah, 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 blah. And we pay your salary or we pay taxes and all, you know, all that stuff. Well, I think, you know, it's like, I think what's been happening in this, in the school boards over the past, you know, the past several, you know, several years, you know, has, has set the stage for something like this, right. To, for people to behave in those ways, because that's been the, the new bar, you know, even when it's something where it's not incompetence, right. It's not like, you know, people are ignoring a problem, um, but you have general concerns. It's like, you know, it's either you go zero to 60 and then it's obviously these, there's some kind of conspiracy or that, you know, yeah. these people are wasting our money or they're ignoring our concerns. Um, as opposed to showing up in a meeting just to be able to kind of say, well, 
what can we do to help? <laughs> right? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. It is. And, and, and like I said, the, the woman was very upset that a newspaper picked it up and it's just like, yeah, the school doesn't have control over journalists or newspapers, right. or if they hear about a story, like I don't understand. And I think sometimes that people, especially now feel that the school boards have way more power than they actually do. Yeah. Right. To, to mitigate certain situations and things. And, and I don't think people really realize that like, they're not, it's not like, a governing body where they make all the decisions. Right. They don't, you know, sometimes like even just trying to explain certain federally mandated programs, right? Schools have to have, right. you can't just be like, we're not going to have these, but trying to explain that to parents who don't understand the process, you know, and that's just plain ignorance, right? On that part. So, well, it's a ignorance. And it's the fact that when, once you've kind of like, you created a cultural climate in which the school boards are the kind of the portal that is opening from the, you know, opening and letting the demons from hell escape into your community, right. Where it's become the all, you know, it's like the, you know, the passage to um, the upside down, right. Runs through your school yeah. boards, you know, yeah. and that's, it's really what's been cultivated, right. You know, it gives this, this school board, this larger than life place. Um, and again, it's very, very purposeful, and, you know, you can't control it. Once that ger- that genie's out of the bottle, you can't control, like, you know, people are going to only deal with it on, you know, race issues or only going to deal with it on gender issues. No, it's going to just become the way that people engage with the school board. And it just it just it, it creates this, I don't know, this really untenable kind of <laughs> thing, yeah. you know, this situation. But. Well, and, and like when I went up there and my comment was brief because I was upset, right? Because the yeah. woman was going off about like just misinformation. It wasn't true. And I walked up there. I said, I got my email a day afterwards. And when I said that, she was in the back and she's like, no, yeah. no. <laughs> no, not true or something like that. She said, I forget or like not possible. And I'm like, well, I could, sh- I could show I you. I could show you <laughs> right bring it up on my phone right here. Here it is. There's the date stamp. <laughs> Conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> Italian I mean, satellites I mean, manipulating your phone. I mean, and there's always the possibility, right, that some people may have not gotten it. Emails fall through cracks, especially right. at the beginning of a new school year. I don't really know. Um, but everybody I talked to got them. So. Right. Oh, there you yeah. have it. But that's it. That that pretty much concludes the excitingness of the exciting nature of Palisades. Like I said, it's they're not banning books. They're not. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for it's good. I'd rather have boring meetings, to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, again, I, I wish I could say the same thing. What's happened in Penridge um, is uh, the Penridge, the, the school board this past week, they had another round of dealing with their new kind of anti-expression policy that they want to put through, again, being ushered through and being led by Joan Cullen, who's the head of the school board. Um, and the idea there is basically they're trying to limit what students can say and not. Now, if you if you don't know anything about what's been happening for the past eight years, right, and you have Joan Cullen, Joan Cullen is very skilled at basically coming up and sounding like, well, we're just trying to make sure our kids have a, a good education and that that it's when the materials are appropriate. I don't understand what what all the fuss is about. Right. I mean, if you just like plopped here out of time. Umbridge. Right. You might not understand. What, right. Why why people are so upset with her. Right. Or why we get our work. But. The fact is, is like when you when you understand what they mean, but what they're trying to take away is they're trying to like, for example, they already kind of stripped 
like the being able to, for teachers be able to put up like the rainbow flag to signal this is a safe place, right? If you are an LGBTQ youth, right? This is a safe space here. Like we re- we respect everybody here, right? Um, and it's not to say that like therefore and like we are anti-heterosexual. That's not the point, right? <laughs> the point is we are welcoming to everybody, which is what a school is supposed to be, right? It is. Or when people put up things about kind of like the importance of diversity, right? Or God forbid they were to say that, oh my God, slavery is what built the foundation of this country or genocide was committed against kind of American Indians. Like, oh no, that is political. You're not allowed to say that within the schools. Basically what this policy will allow is the school board and these designees of the, of the, um, of the uh, superintendent to basically ban certain books, ban students from being able to say particular things, prevent them from wearing particular slogans on this, prevent them from, say, for example, they have a group in the community that is like, you know, basically all behind, say, diversity or all behind LBGTQ kind of rights. And they decide that they went, they have a group and they have a group and it's, the group is like, you know, Bucks for Pride or whatever. And they wear their Bucks for Pride shirt that comes from outside the school and they wear it in the school. They will not be allowed to wear this. Right. Does it guarantee that that will happen? No, but it leaves it in the hands of the people who run the school board and who are determined the power structure within the, within a Penridge school board. And so now you have the Bucks County NAACP, the National Human Rights Campaign, right? The Center for uh, the Foundation for Individual Rights, the ACLU, the National Coalition Against Censorship are all like have this school, this school district uh, like front and center. And the battle against censorship and the battle of kind of attempts to kind of rework the curriculum. What we just saw down in Florida, they just that we have a new curriculum that is going that is going into uh, into effect this fall. They brought teachers. Did you hear about this stuff? No, (laughs) they trained. They uh, they had a bunch of teachers who basically went to these special teacher trainings. They were given seven hundred dollars to kind of um, to attend these training sessions during the summer. And one of the teachers, who was like a fairly new teacher, basically blew the whistle on it, which is like, oh, my God, they're basically rewriting the curriculum so that, you know, slavery doesn't sound that bad or maybe we just don't talk about it so much. Right. It's basically a historical revisionism that is being put into the curriculum. Right. And so, you know, this is the, you know, not just the don't say gay bill, but now we're actually talking about the revision of what those kids are learning in in Florida. And it happened in the exact same way that it's happening here in Penridge and in Bucks County. Yeah. So that's why you've got all these national organizations with their like focused on um, what's happening here in Penridge. Now, they didn't pass it yet. They had to give it the second reading and apparently they were there was a lot of like oh clarifications people just must have misunderstood what was in the bill because it was titled student expression student and the staff expression but that's really not what it is of course that's what it is right and the whole purpose behind what they're happening in their new policy is to to and they have a lawyer now that are helping them craft the language to try to avoid the legal pressure so they could still enact the policy and they hired penridge has it yep and they've so all, doing, what's that? I'm sorry. Central Box is doing the same thing. I didn't yep. realize that Penn Ridge was hiring a PR company as well. Oh yeah. They hired a PR company oh and they got a lawyer. The PR oh company God. is going to help them with their message. Right. <clears throat> so these are, this is bad stuff, which is going on. 
Well, so, I mean, but I, so Cullen, when, when she was talking about that expression, um, I was at the one meeting and she's talking about it out, you know, oh, well, we're not going to stop people from wearing, you know, like you can wear a cross around your neck and stuff like that. I'm just like, how, how is that different from wearing a pride pin? Look, I, 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 my son and I, my, my kids and I talk. My son's like, like infuriated by this, right? And he's like, he wears like gamer t-shirts. You know what I mean? It's like, so it's not like, or just these kind of like design things. So he's not one to go in there with like, you know, kind of. He's not like he doesn't. It was me. Like I'm like where my you know whatever politics on my sleeve, right? Like he, he's just he's not like that, right? But he's so furious that like what they could do. And then he said to me. Well, can somebody wear what happens if somebody has an American flag on their shirt? That's a political that's statement. A political what symbol. happens if they have a cross that they're wearing? Like that's I said, yeah. I said, if you ask me, it's like that's where student organizations could be actually critical. If I was a student and I saw another student that was wearing a cross, I would file a complaint. If I see them and I was I was uh, saw them with an American flag on, I would file a complaint. Right. Yeah. Because, and not look and it. The, the point is not that you're offended by the cross. The point is not that you're offended by the flag. The point is to to expose what is actually happening. Exactly. Right. There's a reason why rent was canceled, for example, at the Penridge School District. And yet just last week or two weeks ago last week, big thing on the Penridge School District um, thing is like, guess what? Oh, we're so happy to have our students involved with the, this year's production of Godspell. Wait, what? Oh, man. Oh, yeah. They had I'm this a, like, I'm big, a little behind on this. Oh, yeah. Happened. They had this big thing. Joan Collins said, oh, yeah, I remember when we did Godspell, how great that was. People who don't know what Godspell is, it's basically a musical portelling of, of the gospel of, of, of Matthew, right? What? That's such an unusual musical to be doing in a school well it's like technically (laughs) it was it was over the summer and there's this playhouse thing like this but it was on the school district's website about the school you know the school and and about godspell joan cullen comes in boom she comments this is so great that they're doing this and that happens in the context after they canceled rent because there's gay people in it no that's what rent's about like it's it's about right yeah (laughs) and so that's the context, right? And this is where it's so important that we constantly expose what they're doing and expose one, the hypocrisy and expose the illegality of what they're trying to put through as quote unquote neutral policies. Um, I mean, it's going to be good. So the next, the next board meeting is on the 22nd, which is this coming Monday. Um, they are attempting to push this policy through before the start of the school year. There's a big question about whether they're going to be able to do that. Um, so if you are, are able to attend the Penridge School Board meeting, um, do so on Monday evening. I think it starts at 7 o'clock. Um, and uh, depending on what we have on our show on Monday, uh, for Out to Coop Live, uh, I'll either give you updates for that or we'll kind of uh, do a little a special kind of read readout on it um, the following day. So, yeah, pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. So, yeah, so that's what we got going on here um, kind of in Penridge. And uh, it's uh, I wish. Uh, well, no, I don't wish that we had the same problems that you have at, at Palisades because that's it's not different. good either. <laughs> no, it's it's different. But, I think that we don't. So like, they're not banning books up here so much, right? Like my daughter, she has a required reading list. Like they, they still have to read Mouse. Yeah. You know, I think they're not doing things that Central Boxes and that Penridge is, and I'm really grateful for that. Um, but at the same point, you know, there are problems. You know, there's a lot of racism up in our area. Um, that's just people don't want to admit to. Right. You know. 
So, um, but other, <laughs> I mean, it could be worse at the moment, at least in regards to policy. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, to, uh, so that, so if we end, uh, maybe we can end on a little bit of a high note. Um, so have you been enjoying the, uh, Fetterman Oz wars this week? Yes. I, I thought, yeah, <laughs> I, <laughs> Fetterman is brilliant. He takes everything thrown at him, like with just, he's great, man. He takes it right to the chin and he throws it right back out in a comical way. And it's hilarious. It's absolutely hilarious. So this past week was, was great. I watched the video of Dr. Oz pretending to shop at a grocery store that doesn't exist. Wegner's. Wegner's. <laughs> that, that's the bastard child of Wegmans and Redner's, by the way, if you don't know who that is. <laughs> you know, and he's picking out some kind of vegetables and he's just like gathering this all up in his arms. He has no basket. He's being filmed. And then the, the thing that I, I missed the comment about the crude, Crudite. 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 But he, he said something about salsa and it was a prepackaged thing of salsa and it was $6.99. And he's like, oh, it's so expensive. There must be a shortage of salsa. I'm like, I don't think there's a shortage of salsa. I think prices are just up. He's completely clueless. Well, and not only that, it's like, like if you're like, if you are in the produce section, Right. And then there's salsa in the proto section in the container that he had. This is your fresh salsa. Right. This is like and the fresh salsa, which is made like daily or every other day, is more expensive. Yeah. Right. Just just to, as your the beginning part. If you want to save some money, you head out over to the chip aisle right <laughs> next to Tostitos. There's these little jars of salsa that are significantly less than that. And there's <laughs> right? no shortage of those. Trust no. Me. As a matter of fact, if you really want, you can actually buy the cheese dip and the ranch dip, too, right next to it. You can have all sorts of things to dip your veggies into, <laughs> right? And he, it was the weirdest thing because, like, it was clear that the guy – I mean, I was saying this to my wife, too. Is like, I, this is when you start to think that, like, um, Oz's – like, the people who work for Oz, his campaign people, they're checked out. Right. They're like they're like, yeah, we're, this guy's a disaster, but we're going to do whatever he wants to do because we're getting a paycheck. Because how do you let something like that go? Right. And didn't, didn't, didn't some of the Republicans like stop funding him or something like that? There was like maybe funding I, yeah. stopped for his advertising budget. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that's it, too. Maybe he just has to have one of his family members to kind of like hold the phone for him while he does his stupid stuff. And it's all his own. But I mean, I mean, like the guy is I mean, you show up at a place like that and like i mean literally he's picking look how much this is and there's a sign behind him that says you know 3.99 a pound right and he's got this one piece of veg look 3.99 for this no <laughs> if you take that you put it in a bag and you reach a pound then it's 3.99 not for that one little piece that you got there <laughs> i wonder <clears throat> if he's ever even done his own grocery shop exactly is well you, you know i he's the kind of guy the fact that he's going shopping for crudite Right. And not a veggie freaking tray. Right. I mean, <laughs> that's like one of my favorite, favorite things that Fetterman did. Right. He just got this like he's got a, you know, in Pennsylvania, we call it this. And he's got like a plastic wrap veggie. that says veggie tray. <laughs> did you see did you see the sign that they put up over one of the bridges? I think it's the Betsy Ross. Was it the Betsy Ross? I didn't. Bridge? No. I don't remember. But there's a sign that says I think it's either it says you're leaving. I forget what it said, but it was like you're leaving PA and you're heading back to the home state of Dr. Oz or, or something yes, like yes, that. Yes, 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 yes. I did see that. Yes. 
It's great. It's great. I love it. It just, I mean, he's just trolling. He's just trolling them like, like so hard. And, you know, and it's, and it, the, the Oz campaign is just not up to it. I mean, he was never really up for it, but he's like, they're not, they try to troll back and it's just kind of cringy. It's just not very good. So. Yeah. He's trying, he's trying to make out that John Fetterman (laughs) is this like communist rebel or something like that. I mean, and he's not. He's not. He just, you know, he has a really good rapport with with people, I think, and he knows what it's like to be an average citizen, you know, and I think that right there in itself is the important factor of knowing what it's like to be an average citizen, right? Not of that top percent tier that runs everything. Um, and I think we need more people like that, you know. Well, look, I mean, into, yeah, and I think... Yeah, no, and I think that, look, Fetterman is like, look, I mean, there's people like Fetterman, don't like Fetterman, whatever it might be, right? But the thing is, is that what you see from John Fetterman is is what you've been seeing for John Fetterman for as long as John Fetterman has been involved in politics, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. You, yeah. this is, this is he's not trying to pretend to be somebody who he's not, where, you know, Oz is trying to remake himself as the everyman when he's got like eight houses, where he doesn't even live in the state that he's running in, and he just thinks that he can come in and kind of pretend to you know, be this guy that it just, he's not. So mm-hmm. there you have it. But, you know, he's, he'll make some money off of it. So there's that. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm really curious as to what percentage of the vote that he's going to get. Like, I'm really, <clears throat> I'm really curious about that one. I think he's going to get it. I mean, I think, I think he'll get a, at least, I, I would put it at at least about 43% to start. Do you think? Yep. Because I know that there's a lot. The extreme Republicans call him a rhino, so he's not. <clears throat> right. I but don't know. Ultimately, all the people for all those things that all those people say, right? Um, at the end of the day, the vast majority of them are going to just vote because it's a Republican. Probably. And so I Probably. think I think that uh, I was having this conversation with somebody yesterday. I said, "Look, I think that you know you're going to have. I think he'll. St- I think he'll still get about forty three percent of the vote." Um, yeah. that, that's, if I, I, everybody could quote me on that. That's, that's what I'm going to put in right for, for right now. <laughs> 43% of the right. Vote. I am, I'm write that down. I am not an analyst, right. By any stretch of the imagination, but that's my gut feeling at this point by, and my reasoning is this, is that, um, one is that Republicans vote for Republicans, right. They, um, and the, the Republicans who vote, um, who are, who have kind of left the kind of Trump train, um, I don't believe that those folks are coming over and going to vote Democratic. I think those folks are just not going to vote. It's and, either that, or they're going to vote like a write-in or some other person, or they're going to vote for the they're going to vote for the offices that they think that that they've got mm-hmm. candidates they agree with, and just going to leave the other ones blank. I think that's more likely the scenario of what's going to happen. You know, it's going to happen. Yes, there will be some Republicans who will vote for uh, for a Democratic candidate, um, but in Oz's thing, I think you're going to get basically a straight kind of your your core Republicans, and they're going to hold their nose for it, whatever, and they're going to they're going to vote for Oz. So I, I put it at forty three percent. He looks like the Green Goblin from Spider-Man. That's a good call. Isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Is it the Green Goblin? Yeah, it's yes. the Green Goblin. He looks like the Green Goblin. That is a good from call. From the cartoon. Like, I'm going, like, way yep. back to the cartoon. Oh, man. Like, he looks a little bit like the Green Goblin. <laughs> I see a great meme. Right? Except he's like, he's like, he's like, he's, he's like, but he's like the incompetent Green Goblin. Right? Oh, I mean, <laughs> like, he'll, he's the one who's going to, like, he's going to throw his, like, bombs, and instead of, like, them exploding, they're going to, it's going to be, like, you know, I don't know, like, caviar. Caviar <laughs> bombs. No, it, it would be, what did you say it was? Crudite? I, Crudite. I Crudite. Crudite bombs. 
Yeah, I had to be coached on that, by the way, because like just so everybody, I had no idea what it was, really. And I told my wife, she's like, you don't know what that is? I'm like, I have no idea. And I'm sure like all my like academic friends are like, you don't know what crudite is? And I'm like, I have no freaking clue what crudite is. I know what a veggie tray is. Though. I do know that. <laughs> so there's some things that I will just never, I've never kind of get my head around. But somebody needs to make that meme. Somebody has to make yep. that meme with him throwing a crudite bomb. <laughs> Yeah, the Green Goblin throwing a crudite. That'd be great. <laughs> I love it. Um, well, that's what we got for this week, everybody. So I say uh, this week's last call for me. Like I said, um, there's some really cool stuff happening uh, for, for any D&D folks out there. Like I say, this is my opening offer to anybody who's within our listening audience. Listen to our podcast, watch our thing. If uh, anybody ever wants to uh, kind of get into a pool of folks who would love to uh, do a little kind of D&D campaign here and there, uh, let me know. I think that'd be kind of a real fun thing to do with uh, with listeners in the community um, down the road at some point. Um, but the, and the big news is that this is kind of um kind of that connection there uh, wizards of the coast who owns the uh, kind of dnd they basically had some huge announcement this week and one they're talking about their next kind of rule set which is going to be called one dnd right now the dnd dungeon and dragons in its fifth uh fifth edition this is um and it has been the most kind of like popular um edition yet it's opened it up to kind of like people who've never even thought about playing it before um and there's a lot of good reasons why the revisions they made it made it less you didn't you need to there's emphasis on more emphasis on narrative and not less emphasis on math although math is pretty you know you still have to do all these kind of rolls and dice and all that kind of stuff but the narrative component i think is really kind of um amped it up and also the way that they deal with characters in um character development and kind of opening up the game to more folks which has been great and so the 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 next set um which is called one D there they are that's what they're calling it at this point is not going to it's going to be compatible with all the the 5e stuff but it's going to open up even some more possibilities according to them we shall see i signed up for their uh, uh their play testing stuff where they give you um the things i've got this one here for example the unearth arcana is their first thing that they they did it's for character origins and they're basically asking people to community say hey check this out this is the kind of thing that we're thinking about and then they're going to have like feedback and opportunities to work with it and suggestions and that kind of stuff um and they're going to be launching the whole thing i guess in 2024 but slowly kind of bringing this stuff out to the community to work with and the thing that i'm most excited about is that um throughout the pandemic uh, that's when I think was one of the reasons why this exploded so much is that you were able to kind of play and play online. There was all these digital tools and companies that were in organizations and free tools that were trying to get uh, find ways that people could play online with each other. A lot of folks just use Zoom and Google Docs and things like this, but then there was like Roll20, which was a really kind of cool platform which you could play with your friends kind of digitally. Um, however, it was it was it took a, there was a you know a big kind of uh, learning curve to get up and stuff started on it. And there were some other ones that were cool too as well, but they were clunky or they were not as um, uh, reliable. Well, um, Dungeon Dragons just bought this place called Dig um, called D&D uh, &D Beyond, which is basically this online um, platform for um, say character development and um and some, use some digital tools to kind of help play in a digital fight and to give you access to all these rule books and these adventures and stuff like this online. So they just bought that, but they're keeping all the folks who ran D&D &D Beyond. They're still doing it, so they're working together, apparently. 
and now they're going to launch a platform that is going to be existing right on that site too as well that will allow you to play kind of digitally with friends I'm, which i'm really looking forward to they're using the uh unreal engine which is uh video gamers know kind of what that is and it generates these open worlds it's it's got amazing amazing graphics uh, but they're going to keep that kind of tabletop feel to it so it doesn't feel like a video game it still feels like that tabletop environment um, and they, they say they're going to be rolling some of that trial stuff out soon, too, as well. So I'm excited about that. Um, and uh, and yes, uh, Wizards of the Coast or anybody that's associated with them, if you ever decide that uh, you're looking for someone to sponsor you, or you're looking for someone to sponsor, I'd be happy to. <laughs> so you want to throw money my way to help support your product? I'll do it because uh, like, I'm already doing it. Um, but uh, and, I, and I'll say this, too, as well, just as a fun note on this, is that, you know, I, I, we started – uh, my my kids and some of their friends, my my niece, we just started our first campaign. Uh, we did some kind of small ones kind of periodically over the past uh, kind of several months um, and year. But we just started a kind of campaign and we're kind of working on it. And it's been an absolute blast already. Um, and, you know, it's the kind of thing where, you know, this is my first time DMing, as I've said before, dungeon mastering, so running the game. And so no matter how much you plan ahead, you're, you know, you're always going to get people who are going to do things you don't expect. And um, my kids and my, my niece and their friends have, have certainly lived up to that. It's been everything time we played, it's been completely unexpected, gone in directions I would not have planned for. And it's been a whole lot of freaking fun. Um, you know, it's just amazing to be in that kind of creative um, kind of improv environment. So that's pretty cool. Sounds awesome. Yeah. So any kind of say fun stuff uh, out of your way, things you're reading, things you're doing. Well, uh, reading. I'm always reading something. Um, <laughs> I uh, not anything unusual at the moment. I am reading The Lord of the Rings to my son. He really likes it. Um, favorite. There's some of my favorite stories anyway. Uh, oh, so not really something like fun, but I just wanted to throw this out there. So today at 3 p.m. on East Broad Street in Quakertown, there is going to be a pro-choice rally. Uh, there's a group of people who are out there every Friday between three and four o'clock um, till it goes, you know, till later on in the evening as well. Uh, but there are people out there uh, protesting um, over the SCOTUS decision of overturning Roe. They could really use the support. So if anybody has anything, some free time later on today, uh, I think today it starts at three o'clock. So it's on East Broad Street. So there's in Quakertown, if you go downtown, there's like a little triangle shaped park in the middle of like an intersection and that's where they're going to be. You won't be able to miss them. Awesome. Awesome. So 3 PM out there in Quakertown center of Quakertown. Uh, if you can make it out there. Um, fantastic. Um, so, so excited to see, um, kind of folks getting out there and continuing stuff going on. I was, um, you know, um, we were at that. We were at that kind of rally a couple of weeks ago. Uh, right before I talked to Mark Mark Pinsley, or a week ago, I can't even remember how long ago things are anymore. Um, there's been people have been staying active, um, and mm -hmm. it's just really, really great to see. So, very cool. I know somebody's yeah. calling me. Oh well, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure it's going to be like, "Hello, your prescription's ready," or something like this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, crazy. Well, Amy, listen, I really appreciate you kind of uh, taking time, and I'm sorry it's taking so long to kind of get us back on track here. But uh, uh, 
It's fantastic. Thank you all out there for um, uh, kind of hanging in there with us. I want to remind you that uh, you can help support the show by simply sharing this and letting other folks know about it. Um, I really appreciate all the folks who are have been who stay with us on Twitter, who are constantly getting the word out and supporting our show. Thank you, thank you. And you can help support this show, um, kind of keep it growing by heading over to Patreon.com/slash/RCPress and become a patron today. Um, Amy, uh, I wish you the best of weekend and uh, for the last week of summer before uh, the kids head back to school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you too. Yeah, there you have it. All right. This is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. Uh, we'll be back on Monday. Uh, we might have a guest. We might not have a guest, but uh, we'll be uh, back into a rhythm starting next week. Till then, everybody, keep it going. See ya. I'll fly away.